Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. Again, thank you for being here this morning and for being a part of our service, for the music that's been sung and for you being here. We are continuing in on our series in 1 Timothy. And if you are new to this to us this week, or maybe you've not been for a while, we are going verse by verse in the book of First Timothy. We will, we are starting today in chapter number two, and so I'm thankful for you to be here. We have looked at chapter number one, and all throughout chapter number one, really, you've got Paul writing a letter to Timothy. And Paul is encouraging Timothy, and Paul is challenging Timothy, and, and Paul is, is, is speaking directly to Timothy in regards to a handful of things, specifically the doctrines of God's Word, and that, that he would go back to those that are in leadership, and go back to those that are, are, are a part of the church there, and he would correct some things, and he would deal with some things, and make sure that the doctrines of God's Word were being taught. He was challenging Timothy to, to always adhere to God's word. He was challenging Timothy in a number of different ways. But, but he was going through, and all throughout chapter number one, it was, it was the foundations of, of God's word. It was, it was keeping it in our heart. It was, it was speaking of, of being good. It was speaking of having a good conscience, of a pure heart, and all of those things. And, and here in chapter number two, we're kind of, um, again, obviously... In that day, the, the, the letter was one, one fluid letter, but we kind of changed focus just a little bit. We're no longer now reading, or, or writing, reading a letter from Paul that was directed just at Timothy. We're now looking at a letter that was more directing the body of church, the, the church body as a whole. And so this, from here moving forward, for the next few weeks and next few chapters, really, as, as we get into 1 Timothy... We'll start today, and today is going to deal with prayer, and then next week, you'll, you'll have to be back next week. Next week, we will deal with the place and the role of a woman in the church. And some of you, it took a lot longer than others, but, uh, but in all seriousness, we're going to, we'll deal with that as, as Paul kind of dealt with that in his letter, and then, then we continue on. He deals with the elders. He deals with deacons. He deals with all the different leadership heads of the church and who they are to be and, and all of these different things. But, but as we jump in today, we're going to look at Paul writing to Timothy directed at the church as a whole and emphasis in prayer. Most of you would, would recognize this statement or you've heard it before, but it's been said, much prayer, much power, no prayer, no power. Acts chapter 4 or chapter 6 and verse number 4 kind of puts it this way, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I have to stop and think about that for just a, a minute because one, that deals specifically to me as a pastor. My number one priority ought to be the ministry of prayer and the study of God's Word. If you sit here today, if we were to even take this just a little bit further, you sit here today, and we're going to kind of end this morning briefly in verse number 8. I'm just going to touch on it, but it says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Men, if you sit here in this room today, that directly hits you. In your home, 
you should give to the study of God's word and to prayer continually over your family. If you teach a class, you should give time continually to prayer and to the study of God's word. If you are a deacon, to the continually to prayer and to God's word. If you are a believer, to prayer and to God's word. But when I was looking at that, I thought personally, I took that as a pastor, my job and my focus should be, ought to be continually in prayer and in the study of God's word. I'll say this this morning. Oftentimes in 2016, myself and church leadership all across the United States of America are far more worried about being the the best known guru on leadership as opposed to the best known man in prayer in the study of God's word. We have a lot of great men who lead churches, who write great books who reference great things for leadership and management and all of these different things. And yes, I am to do those things. But the number one thing that a pastor and that I ought to be doing is studying God's Word and praying over you, the flock. That hit me home this week pretty hard. It should hit all of us pretty hard. That we ought to give continually to prayer and to the ministry of God's word. Not as it says in Matthew chapter 6, where if you were to go there, I shouldn't study and make a reference of that just so that I could be a Pharisee as they were back in Matthew and in those days. And they, we still do this today, but where we, we stand and boast and pray and let everybody know how great that we are. If you were with us not too long ago, I... I, I preached and part of my sermon was you had the Pharisee standing over here and looking over and saying, I'm so glad that I am not as they are over there. That should not be who we are either. And as we get into the passage this morning, I, I, I initially, when I read through it and I started to, to go through it, you go through verse number one and it says that, that you look at it in supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving them thanks. And I'm thinking, wow, that's an incredible outline of how am I to pray? I should, I should give to supplication. I should give to prayers. I should give to interceding on behalf of others. And I should give thanks to God and I should praise God. And I'm like, man, that's, gonna, that's a great layout right there for an easy, that's an easy sermon. But it doesn't stop there. The focus this morning I, is not going to be on all of those four things. That will be a foundation of, of where we will build on. But as we look at these things, at the end of that verse number one, it says, Be made for all men. And as we study this passage, as I studied this passage this past week, and I've been looking through 1 Timothy for a long time, this passage really has kind of two subjects, I guess you could say. You've got the, the subject of prayer. You've got that idea that this whole, we'll get to it in just a second, but this whole thing consumes prayer. But then it says to prayer, the pray for all men. And it says not only just to pray for all men, but to pray for all men for the salvation of all men. 
And so as we get into this this morning, over these next few minutes, the drive and the focus as we continue to go forward would be, yes, that we would be in prayer, but that the foundation of our prayer ought not to be just you and I, but that the foundation of our prayer ought to be for all men and for the salvation of all men. Why? Because the desire and the will of God is that all would come to know Him. And if that's the will of God, our desire should be to do and to be about the will of God and serving. And therefore our prayer life, our prayers should be done in the the will of God. I couldn't help but go through God's Word and look at different things over this course of the week, but... Looking in the Old Testament, how many times do we look at the prophets and we look at those from the Old Testament and they they would pray for the sin and the salvation of the nation of Israel? Time and time again, Moses prayed for the sins and salvation. Samuel prayed for the salvation of his nation. Jeremiah prayed that way. Daniel prayed that way. Even if we go into the New Testament and we look at at some different folks in the New Testament, Stephen was being stoned. And as Stephen is being stoned, he says this, though he's not praying for the, the sin of the nation, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I'll be honest, I don't know how many of you, I don't know about me, as I'm being stoned, would look out upon those that are throwing rocks at me and are killing me in that moment because of my faith in Christ. I don't know how many of us would say, God, basically forgive them for what they're doing. We spoke of that at Easter. Jesus hanging on a cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, but that's Jesus. Now this is, this is Stephen. He's a man like you and I. He wasn't perfect as so many, so many times we would say, but Jesus was perfect. He had his stuff together. It was easy for him to say, oh, Father, forgive them. Now, this is Stephen. I'll never forget this time in my, and I was in college. I was taking a class that was an elective that was, I was taking this class and it was taught by a former uh, man who was a, a Muslim and he was converted. I'll never forget one of the last things that we did in that class was we watched, I have no idea why we did this, but this has rung in my mind forever and ever. We watched a stoning. And the person that was being stoned, though we could not understand them, just continually sang the Lord's Prayer over and over and over. They, they have the heart for others. Stephen said, Lord, hold, do not hold this sin against them. Romans 10, Paul says, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for them, is is for their salvation. And so this morning, as we take a copy or copy of God's word and go to 1 Timothy chapter number 2, we're going to read this passage of scripture and I want you to keep that Focus that thought in the back of your mind and in the forefront of our minds really as we go through and as we look at this topic of prayer, really that it's not just a matter of me praying with supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving, but it's that we would do that with one intent in mind is that I'm praying for all men to be saved. 
That should be the heart cry, not to Timothy. This was written to the church. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter number 2, starting in verse number 1. It says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. And in verse number 8, I'm not sure if this is on the screens or not, but it says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that today, as with every Sunday, as we worship together as a body, it would not be my words that are heard, but you would speak truth to the lives of our, to our hearts. God, that you would be the light. God, I pray that you would change us. God, I pray even for me, I, I've looked at this all week, that my prayer life, that my, my being would be that to do your will, which is to see all men come to know you. And that I would be about that business. Father, I pray that you'd be with us now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to jump right into the points this morning. And the very first point is the foundation. I've mentioned already in the introduction that the, those different things, those thoughts there with supplications in verse number 1. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. That that isn't the initial thought that I had was, wow, that's kind of an easy layout of prayer. Until you really study down and look a little bit further. And so I want to just take a look. I want to take a look at each one of those things individually. And then I'll, I'll pull that together, hopefully, that, that we would see how each one of those things, if we look at it into the context of what it is, and we really study those words, what is supplication? What is it to, to intercede? What is it to give thanks? And we look at that, and then we pull that together with the context of all men, that all would come to know Christ. And that ought to be my prayer life. Let's look at that first word being supplication. Most of you would know what that is. But supplication is, is this. It is to lack, to be deprived, or to be without something. Here would be a conviction of mine and probably a conviction or should be a conviction on most everybody in this room. Our prayer time is most often spent in supplications for ourselves. I am lacking. I am in need of something and I am in want of something. And most of our prayer times, if we were to just be real honest, most of the time, it's God, 
Oh, Lord, where am I? Oh, Lord, my, I've lost a job. Oh, Lord, I need an extra $10 this week. Oh, Lord, I'm not feeling well. Oh, God, I'm this. And oh, God, we need. And oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, what's the world's falling apart? And that's kind of oftentimes where our prayer life encompasses is the supplication of all of the things that I need. And so if we were to look, and again, looking at this passage as a whole, all of those things are good. Listen, in need, we should go to God. Because He is the only one, He is the one who can provide each and every one of those needs. So it is natural that we should do that. But as we look at this, our needs should, yes, drive us to our, our, our knees, but also that we would recognize the need of others. That we would recognize certain things. Have you ever been somewhere, maybe you've came from a third world country, maybe you've been to a third world country, maybe you've gone to a rescue mission, or maybe you've done something and you went in and you recognize that you had needs, and then you left recognizing that you really don't have needs? You ever had that? I have. I've seen that. I've recognized that. Oftentimes our supplications are for us, but maybe it should also, God, show me the need of others. The next one it says is prayers, which is really just a, a pretty generic term in, in reference to what it is. But this specific thing deals with the reverence of God, that, the, the, that we would pray and, and that they should be in reverence of our Lord, as well as giving glory to our Lord. Then it goes to intercession. Intercession means to fall in with someone or to get involved with them. I should be about falling in with you. You should be about falling in or getting involved with those that are around you. I am interceding on behalf of you. I am getting engaged in your issue, in your situation, whatever that is. I am feeling the need that you have in supplication and I am pouring that back to God. I don't know how many times in my own life and how many times in, in your lives were different things where it is this, you just, you get the sense, hey, I, somebody was laid upon your heart. You are interceding on behalf. You may not have a clue why that somebody was laid upon your heart. But you are now involved. You are now in their situation. God has placed you in their situation. And as we look at all of this stuff and we look at these things, this is us having and growing in empathy and sympathy and compassion and involvement in somebody else's situation. As we think on all of these things, supplications, prayers, intercessions, understanding the depths and the miseries and the hurts and the pains and all of these things that each and every one of us in this room face. When we deal with prayer, 
and we're looking at it as we're looking at it today, I cannot look at prayer as just a selfish thing that I do. Because that's not what it is. Yes, there's an avenue of that that I need to, hey God, this has came up. But I'm praying for you. I'm praying on behalf of all men that all may come to know him. I am praying and interceding. I'm broken, whatever that would be, on behalf of of all men. And so as we go through this, it says this at the end. It says in thanksgiving or giving of thanks that we would just cry out on behalf of others and we would praise God and give him the praise. These four simple things that I would say, in all reality, most of you do this. Most of you have seen it. Most of you are a part of it. If you pray, if you have any kind of prayer life, you do all of these things. That's, it's natural. I got a prayer request at church today and I'm going to pray for it. You're interceding. You're giving out prayers. Thank you, God, for this and thank you for that. And God, you're good and, and all of these things. And you're, you're crying out, God, I don't know why you've, you've done this. I don't know, understand all these things. But God, here's the needs that I have. And we do all of those things. But now let's stop this morning and let's take us kind of out of the equation and say, God, you aren't here just so that I can pray for me. But God, this is that prayer for all men, that all men would come to know you. And here's where it often stops and it often ceases in our lives because I am too worried about me to worry about you. I am too worried about my issue to worry about the issue of somebody down the street. I am too worried about my issue than to worry about the neighbor across the street who does not know the Lord. I am too busy with my issue to realize and understand that my cousin, my aunt, my uncle, my, my, my whatever, my relative does not know Christ as Savior. We ought to be about, yes, pray for your family and pray for those things, but my prayer life has to have the foundation of, of supplication and, and recognizing those needs and seeing that and truly, deeply engaging into prayer that all men would come to know him. That has to be the foundation. And as we go from there, we'll look at just a couple things here as we wrap up this morning. But the focus, so we have the foundation and then we have the focus. In verse number one at the end, it says, for all men. That is the focus. Well, let me, let me kind of go back. The obvious focus is we're praying to God. He's the focus of that. We'll start there. But we're praying on behalf of all men. And so as we get into this, that all men should be our focus. You and I obviously aren't aware of who would come to Christ. I don't know. I don't know in this room. All I have to go on in this room is by the fruits that I see. That's all that we have when it comes to salvation. I trust that you say, yes, I came to know Christ as Savior. Yes, I've been baptized, or I've maybe even had the opportunity of baptizing you. But I'm going on what? The fruit that you bear. God's Word says the the way that we love one another. 
I don't know your heart to know if you've accepted Christ. So I'm praying on behalf of all men that all would come to know Christ. And I'm about the business that, that he would bring those that need that. And so as we get into this thing with, with all men, this is something that just really catches me and makes me go, why would he put this next thing in there? He says, Paul or, or church, you need to pray for all men. And if we were to stop at verse number one and it says, pray for all men and take out the next line that says for kings and for all that are in authority. If we were to just say that be made for all men, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty for this is good and acceptable and take that whole portion out, it would flow perfectly. Why in the world would Paul write specifically to pray for your kings and those who are in authority? He already said, pray for all men. This is not going to turn into politics, I promise you. But here to me is a big portion of why he would say that. For one, in this day and age, Nero was the one who was on the throne. Nero wanted every believer to be killed. Every person that sat inside of that church knew that Nero wanted every man to be killed. They all were very well aware of them praying for King Nero was praying for the guy who was desiring that they would be killed. God says pray for your enemies, those that love you and those that hate you, despitefully use you. I don't know that I have enemies. I'm sure there's somebody that really doesn't like me. But... It's one thing, Andy, you sat on the row, on the front row, sorry. It is one thing for me to know that Andy, is it, do you do Andy or Andrew? Andrew, sorry. I apologize. It is one thing for me to know that Andrew hates my guts. I don't think he does. He may after that, I just called him the wrong name. It is another thing altogether for me to know that Andrew is after my head. That's two different stories. Paul says, hey, pray for the kings and pray for those in authority. As I'm looking at this and as I'm going through these different things, here's some things that came into my mind as I'm thinking about that. Why why would you put kings and those in authority? God, I'm praying for all men. That would naturally take me to those in authority. Let me just encourage you with this. And this is just something that came to me as I was going through this and looking at this. Our goal, if we're to look at it and say, America, we're in a political season. I'm sick of commercials. I'm sick of debates. I'm sick of Facebook posts. I'm sick of everything that has to do with politics. I'm, I'm done. We've got another year at it. Woohoo. But here's one of the things that has come to my mind. We hear it all the time that America needs to get back to the old days. America needs to get back to God's word. America needs to bring Jesus back in and and quit taking God out of everything and put God back in. And I'll say this, I'm for all of that. I really am. However, 
Here's part of what's missing, and I just I kind of wrote this down. Our goal in changing this nation isn't that the leadership would be overthrown, though that's how we often pray. God, take them out of here and bring us somebody that's more conservative. Bring us somebody that's more this way or more that way, whichever way you lean. And that's kind of how we pray. Not God change their heart. So here we go. If our goal in changing the nation isn't that leadership should be overthrown, but that believers around the world would pray for the souls to be saved and that souls would be won to Christ. Pray for those in leadership, yes, but it shouldn't be that God, God just take them out. No, pray for them. And then here's a side note that I put down, and this is free and you can take it for whatever you want. Let me inform you. The leadership in our culture, the political system that we have, ought not be our God. God is in control, not the government of the United States of America. So here's just a side note, and maybe this has nothing to do with why Paul actually wrote this. But if I am too busy and too worried about what the government is doing, I am worried if they're going to protect me as opposed to God being who God is. I am to pray for the leadership... That they would come to know Christ, that God would use me to be a part of those things. Listen, don't worry so much about all of the right and left politics. Worry and trust that God is who God has said he is and that he is in control of all of it. Because I can't trust in the government of the United States of America. Nor have I been called to trust in the government of the United States of America. Everybody in here probably goes, yeah, I don't like where we're at. I get it. I can do what I can do. As I look at this, these people were fearful of their life. They're fearful, fearful of their life. I'm, I can't go into this. You know, I probably shouldn't say this, but it may not be a bad thing for the church if we began to get fearful that our religious liberties are being taken away. It may mean that I would bow my head in prayer a little bit more to say, God, I don't understand this. Or it may mean that I would, I would kind of step in and say, God, I have to trust you. Hey, there's people all around our world that are dying for their faith right now while we sit in a comfy room and we're worried that our religious freedoms are taken away. I'm not getting on anybody. I'm just kind of this maybe a political rant. But it's not about that. It's about me trusting in him, praying for the souls of man to be one. Instead of me trusting in our government that I will have the freedoms to carry my Bible wherever I want to carry my Bible. Let me ask you, how many of you carry your Bible anywhere? Not on your phone. And I'm not saying this in a negative thing. How many of you actually do this? Everywhere you go. We're worried that they're going to take it away, but we don't use it. Sorry. We are to pray for those in authority. That God would work in there. Listen, that's not meaning that we just sit back and do absolutely nothing. We have to do our part, and we'll get to that in a second. But am I really praying that God would change 
right now, President Obama's heart that he may come to know Christ as Savior? And any of his staff? Here, let me inform you. Whether you like him or you don't, he's not the enemy. He's a man who needs Christ. Your neighbor is not your enemy. They're people that need Christ. And we need to get to a place where we are praying for all that they would come to know him. Not that they lead and change to what I want them to think like and I want them to be like. And they're going to come and take all my guns. Our goal as believers ought to be that we would pray that all men would come to know him. And as we go through this passage of scripture, it says for kings and for all that are in authority that we may, what does it say? Lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And so as we look at that, and we look at all of those things. We come to, we've got a little bit of a foundation. We've got a focus that God, would, that we would pray for all mankind, that we would pray for our kings, that we would pray for those in the leadership, that we would do all those things. For this reason, it says, that we would lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. Why am I praying for that? Why am, I, why am I seeking God in those things? And this, I think, is, is almost hard to maybe fully grasp. But as I pray for God to be in all of those things, as I pray in supplication, as I pray in intercession, as I do all of those things, this, this the Word of God says that my life, it would be that I would lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. If we were to take that back to chapter 1, and it spoke of being in good conscience and having a pure heart and doing those things, if that is my foundation, if that is truly the foundation of my life, that this is directing my life, that the doctrines of God's word are directing my life, and I'm living out of a good conscience, and I'm living out of a pure heart, and I'm doing those things wholeheartedly trusting in Him, and as I'm praying, I'm praying that God would, would move, and that God would use me, and that God would do what God is going to do. Hey, naturally, I am going to live a peaceful and a quiet let me ask you, how many of you like when everything is stirring and you're uncomfortable in all of your being? Dude, does anybody like that? Does anybody like to be in a situation where they truly, man, God, I don't know what to, I don't know how to make this decision and I'm stir crazy and, I, and you, you're stressed and you're, you're frustrated and what do I do and where do I go and how do I and blah, blah, all these things and you're just stir crazy. God says, when you do these things, it would be that we would lead a quiet and peaceable life. He will give you that. That doesn't mean there won't be any stress in your life or decisions aren't going to come. or it's, No, you still have to do those things. But a part of this whole thing is that I'm praying on behalf of all men and I'm seeking God in all of these things and I'm trying my best to do this and, and, and God, I'm trusting you and I'm, I'm trusting you and I'm trusting you that God is going to say, it's okay. 
here's a, here's a peace that passeth all understanding. Here is a stillness that you just can't fully understand. Here is all of these things. That it would be good in the sight of God. It should be our desire and our prayers and our lives as believers that all men would come to Christ. Even as as Paul was writing that in that situation that he was in with Nero. What is really awesome to me in, in looking at this passage of Scripture is that it isn't about my desire. It's about God's desire. It's not about my desire. In Isaiah chapter 45 and 22, he says, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. As we look at this, here is what I have to face every day. Here is what I have to deal with every day, is me. I have selfishness. I have arrogance. I have me issues, as do every one of you in this room. I like to think that I'm okay sometimes. I like to think that because of my secluded position, I don't see a lot of things and I don't do this or I don't, I'm just, I'm okay. It's not about my desire, it's about His. Listen. What that does for me is, one, it convicts me. If I'm to live and be about His will, it convicts me that if His will is that man would come to know Him, then I should be about His will and His desire, then I should be about doing His business, which is telling people about Christ, which is, in this regards, we're talking about praying on behalf of others to come to Christ. But as we look at this, the reason there is that all men would come to know him, and it goes just a step further. And a lot of this doesn't need a lot of explanation. I looked at multiple commentaries. There's really not a ton of explanation here. It says in verse 5, well, after or verse 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. If we were to look at that, and we were to look at the, the understanding of verse 4, that it's his will, it is his desire that all would come to know him, and we were to really understand that there is nothing that I can do outside of giving my life to him to be a part of seeing others come to him. Because I am not God. I am nobody, but yet he's allowed me to be a part of his ministry, to be a part of his work of seeing people come. I have the opportunity to pray on behalf of this world and on behalf of individual people that they may come to know him. And the more that I do that, the more calming and the more peaceful that he allows me to be and the more understanding and the more loving and the more caring. And as I look at that, why? Because there is only one that could have done what needed to be done. 
For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Nobody else could have done what Jesus Christ did. There is nobody that could have done that. Hey, I can't do the saving, but I can be a part of my father's business. I can't do the work that needs to be done of perfecting the saints. I can't do the things that Jesus Christ, that God has already done. I couldn't be put upon a cross to save any of your lives. But I have been given the opportunity to go before my father and to say, God, on behalf of whomever, I ask that you would do a work in their life. On behalf of my friend from high school, Jeff, who I mentioned to our guys on on Wednesday night, God, I pray that you would bring somebody in Jeff's life there in California, wherever he's at, that may be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. God, I pray on behalf of those that are in this city, God, if we have an an avenue, if we have the opportunity, that we would share with them the opportunity, that we would share you with them, that we would pray on their behalf, that we would seek God on their behalf, that we would do the things that we need to do. There is but one. And you and I have the opportunity because we know him. And as I look at that, as I stop and I think about those things, I've been fortunate enough to have come to know Christ as my Savior. I've been fortunate enough to be saved from many different situations in my life that I didn't have to go down this road or that road. I've been fortunate. Some in this room haven't been fortunate to not see different things in their lives and it took a bad circumstance to bring you to Christ. Whatever that would be. But if you know Christ, you've been fortunate enough to recognize and understand that the only one and true God gave himself and he was the only one that could have done what he did for salvation. We've been fortunate in that regard. I don't know why this situation happened yesterday to me. And I was not intending to share this story. But as it leads right into the the invitation time this morning, I was walking out of my office and we, we lease a space right now for our office. And as I was walking out of our office, there's a number of offices inside of the complex. There's probably 100 or so offices. This lady was looking for a, a specific meeting, and, and she asked me, and I said, I have no idea what you're looking for. And so I went back in, and there happened to be a group of people trying to meet. Otherwise, I would, not, I would have known nothing to help this lady. But for whatever reason, I go out and I, I ask this lady and I go back in and she was looking for the group. I said, no, that's not them. And, and she proceeded to kind of tell me what she was looking for. And it was an AA meeting. And I said, ma'am, they're not there. I said, but where do you go to church at? She had a shirt that said Jesus on it. I said, where do you go to church? And she said, well, I, I've gone to this place, but I have a relationship with God and that's all that really matters. I said, ma'am, I am a pastor in this town. I never say that because 
you never know what's going to happen at that situation when you make that statement. But I said, ma'am, I'm a pastor in this town. And I said, and I'm not letting you leave to go back to your house right now. And that's even more bold. If you know me, I don't do that. (laughs) For an hour and a half, I sat with this lady trying to find her as much help as I could find her because I knew when she left, she was going to the store to get beer and she was going back home. And I told her, I am not letting you leave to go get more to go waste yourself away tonight. So for the next hour and a half, I called some of you in this room. I called multiple facilities. I did everything but call the police and say, come and pick this woman up. I say all that, and I I don't know why God allowed that for me yesterday. It, this is very selfish. It kind of interrupted an hour and a half of my afternoon because I wasn't intending to be at the office for three or four hours that I was. But as I'm looking at this passage of Scripture that we're studying, that we're going through, if it is... If it is God's challenge, God's conviction upon my life or on yours, I don't know where you're at with this sermon, but that our job, our ministry, our obligation, our duty is that we would be continually about prayer and about God's word. But not only that, taking it a little bit step further, that my prayer ought to be focused around that all men would come to know Christ as their Savior. It was perfect for me to see a little picture of my life is is what I think is okay. And here's this lady who is just weeping. I don't want to do this. I really don't know what happened to that lady. I did what I could do in the two, nearly two hours that I was with her. But here's what I know for me. It made me stop and go, there's a whole lot more Her name was Christina with a K, and she told me that I don't know how many times. My name is Christina with a K. There's more Christinas with a K that are looking for you and me to say, God, I have no idea who this woman is. But the only saving grace that she has is not in me, but it's in you. God, the only thing that will stop her, the only thing that can help her, the only thing that can any of these things is not me. I can be a good man and I can, I can try and I can try and I can try, but the only thing that will change this woman's life is Him. Listen, the only thing that changes this church, it's not me because I'm a good pastor or a bad pastor. It's not anything to do with me. God says upon this rock, He will build His church. It's upon Him. He's the only one that makes a difference. And church, if we don't stop and if we don't grasp a hold of, it is my job, it is your job to cry out to God on behalf of all men for the salvation of all men, then we need to stop, close the doors and pack it up and say, God, we can't do what you've called us to do. You say, well, that's pretty harsh. I'm sorry, it is pretty harsh. But if we're not going to be about the business of God and seeking the will of God, then we probably ought not have a church calling us a church saying that that's what we're trying to do. And I'm not saying that we're not. That's not what I'm saying at all. But my focus 
has to get back that all men would come to know him. Hey, all men need to know the only one and true God, the only mediator between God and man. All men need to have that in their life. And as we look at this passage of scripture, it says what? That should be our prayer. And it closes in verses 7 and 8. And it says this word, whereunto, because of all of these things, I, Paul is writing, I am an ordained, or I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. And some of you just said, awesome, because I am not ordained a preacher or an apostle. Therefore, it's not my duty. Most of you in this room are not ordained preachers and apostles. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been called a child of God. And therefore, it is your duty. Because he goes on to verse 8 and he says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Listen, it is our job. It is our duty. It is our call to beg God for the souls of men. It is our job to beg God for the souls of men. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.